0: To book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan.
1: Hello and welcome to the following on podcast. I'm Jared Kimber and today with me is Guy Swindles as John Norman has been rotated out uh, to rest himself uh, a little bit like Stuart Broad. He's uh, off in the benches uh, complaining a little bit, eager to come back for the next game. But we're going to talk about Australia's incredibly easy win chasing this low total against England. It was absolutely no way. To be honest, I've been watching the basketball for the last couple of hours. So I'm assuming that's what happened because there's no way Australia could have lost this. Gone.
2: well yes you'd have thought so uh 149 for eight australia reduced england two in the 41st over you've pretty much won the game then haven't you yeah england got away with it a bit got to 231 for nine um, but yeah you're still going to win the match you get to 144 for two in the 31st over just chasing the 232 you got the game in the bag England won the match by 24 runs. The last four wickets, sorry, the last eight wickets going for 63 runs in one of the most remarkable turnarounds I've seen in a one day international for a while. And just England yet again managing to snatch a victory when it looks as if they had no chance. And Australia, they must, they must just wonder what they've got to do to see England off. They should have wrapped up the series win today. It should be two up with one to play. First England defeat in a one-day series since September the 13th, 2015. But instead, England have somehow won. They're back in it. And that momentum thing, well, at the moment, it's running very much with England going into that third one-day international. Story of the day.
1: Guy, essentially the story of this day is that Australia have found a way in this white ball series so far to be very poor against seam bowling. And now I'm also very poor against spin bowling early on as well. It was a, it's a, it's a weird Australian team, and we talk, I talked about this a lot in the in the first match. I said that a lot went right for Australia in the first match to win. I mean, forget the fact that England's not quite at full strength at the moment, but but if you just look at the actual uh, team itself, Australia is basically putting all the eggs into a top seven, and then they're four frontline bowlers. And the problem with that is there's a reason why teams haven't done that through the history of um, one-day internationals. Is it quite it quite often comes to bite you um, today? It, it wasn't so much that it was that they just couldn't take that final wicket. I mean, the, you you could say the fifth bowler didn't help. You know, Mitch Marsh and Stoinis, and uh, you know, obviously Maxwell wasn't uh, as involved. But essentially. They couldn't take that final wicket, and it went, well, the final, uh, you know, a few wickets there, but it essentially ended up
2: really costing them a massive amount, didn't it? It did. The the peculiar thing was you were singing Australia's praises for being ballsy and and playing four-seam test-seam bowlers who left England in in bits and pieces, largely throughout the, the, the early part of the England innings. Watching Hazelwood boss Joe Root, who staggered to 30-odd or 70 deliveries, having run out Jason Roy as well, and having a bad day at the office, no one could get going until the end when they tired a bit. And you're right, the fifth bowler cost them dear. But you still thought, well, they've done enough. And when the the top batsmen again, the, the, the top three or four, got them within touching distance of victory. The surprising thing possibly, and I I take your point about the the, the bowling attack, but also Steve Smith was fit to play, and he didn't, which was a bit weird. And I think England would have seen, well, they fancy themselves that much that Steve Smith's not playing. Well, maybe we can have a chance. And it, it was one of those strange ones. The other story of the day, I think, is Owen Morgan's captaincy. He has said, I don't care how much I lose by but I'm going to go to win. And in the 26th over, when he brought back Joffre Archer and Wokes and bowled them out, so by this stage he knew he'd have to go into the death overs with Adil Rashid, that was a huge call and it came off brilliantly and suddenly Australia were, were, were reeling and rocking and I think that that has to be mentioned as well.
1: Yeah, and it's it's weird because both teams basically tried the same thing. So Morgan will get a lot of credit for his captaincy, but Finch actually tried a similar thing. I mean, Hazel would bowled out uh, quite early on as well, and and they certainly attacked with the ball in that middle period. It's just that uh, the England bat deeper. So when you got England seven and eight wickets down, they could still take the game deep and then slog a few at the end. Whereas Australia just doesn't really have that option, watching poor Alex Carey and uh, try and do it. But but surely the, the story so far is that. Australia just isn't a fully functional one-day team, but they are still very much a team with incredible players. And the Steve Smith thing that you mentioned is very, very interesting for me because if you're playing England normally and you're expecting to score 300 to 350, Steve Smith is not the most handy one-day player. He, he, can, he could basically average 45 in, te- in one-day cricket at a strike rate of 80 without any problem. The minute you go up to run a ball, Steve Smith doesn't become the same player. Today, guy, you could not have asked for a better player to be in your middle
2: order than Steve Smith. Absolutely right. That's exactly what they needed. They needed an 80, 80 runs per 100 player, and there just wasn't one. There, there seemed to be two gears. That was what interested me as well, watching Australia, was tactically, they seemed a few steps behind England, in one, the makeup of their team, and two, the run chase. Usually, if you watch England with one decent player, a wicketkeeper batsman, I don't know, call him Joss Butler with the tail, he kind of has a plan and knows what to do. And I felt that Carey running singles, letting the bowlers have as much strike as he did, was suddenly handing the initiative back. And some of the captaincy, some of the changes of, of bowlers, particularly towards the end, were, were quite strange. And you suddenly realise that in the space of that five years that we mentioned earlier, England had gone, we've mentioned this so many times, but... They had not got a clue what to do with te- tactically with this form of the game. And then watching Australia today, you thought, yeah, they've got the players, but they just don't have a game plan the same way England do. And to move on in this game and to just move up for Australia, you feel that's what they really need now. They have the players. They just need a plan.
1: I think you're right. If you look at the Kerry uh, one that you're talking about there, you've got a guy who made his whole career opening the batting in the Big Bash. He'd almost never made any runs in, in one-day um, domestic cricket. Uh, all, everything, all of his career came from opening the batting in the Big Bash, and now he's batting at six and seven in a one-day team, batting with someone like Zampa and Hazelwood, n- neither of which are a complete bunnies, but it, it was it was odd, and also he went so long without hitting a boundary that... I always feel in that sort of situation, you're almost, if, you, if you're not hitting the occasional boundary, you're putting yourself under a lot of pressure to suddenly hit three or four in 10 balls, which is what he had to do. And then even little things, and I've seen this with Kerry before, it was quite clear that Adol Rashid was only going to bowl wrong to him. Everyone knows that he could slog sweep. And it's not, a, it's, you know, everyone on the ground knew, everyone should have known that he was going to bowl wrong and outside off stump so either Kerry moves across his crease a little bit to make it so that it's a little bit more in his arc or he stays where he is and hits the ball over the offside he didn't know that either so it's those little things that, which, which is the difference between England where everyone knows their role and is ready for their role and it seemed like Australia but they are still working out but the story of the day is most importantly that Australia lost
2: <laughs> I'll go along with that Moment of the Day Yeah, my moment of the day was when Owen Morgan bought on um, Joffre Archer and said, right, we need wickets, and he just changed the game. Yes, I know Chris Wokes was the guy who took three wickets at that point, but suddenly it was a real statement of intent because Finch had been in trouble against Archer earlier. We'd seen one four-leg buys a one-bounce four off his helmet, so he knew that what was going to come, and I think that that was my moment of the day. back Archer, win or bust, here we go. That that whole
1: period was so interesting as well because I think, I can't remember if someone on commentary was like, was saying something on the lines of, it was like they turned the lights off because suddenly no one seemed to be able to pick up the ball for what was a maybe five or six over period and um, the balls weren't reversing massively. There was little bits of movement but some of the shots, Australians were missing them by a long way. Uh, What looked like at least on the face of it, straight balls. I don't think that's completely fair. There was some movement there. But it was almost like a completely different game. And I don't know I, I don't know if that was just the bowling at that pace at that time of night. Maybe the lights hadn't kicked in. Pro- but it was a really interesting period, wasn't it?
2: it? It was. And it's interesting to compare it to the first one day when England ran into similar sort of problems at that stage of their innings as well. There does seem to be something around that dusk period that that causes problems. I don't think it was a surprise after that happened in the first one there that England, when they won the toss today, said, fine, we'll bat first. Yeah, they didn't put the, the big score together they would have liked, but it was a pretty slow, sticky wicket. It wasn't easy to score fast on that wicket and Australia found themselves struggling in that chase particularly for the last 20 overs or so so yeah it's, it's interesting that batting second doesn't look much fun um, with the way things are going up there and you're right the ball didn't do much Wokes got a couple to straighten but it was more just playing down the wrong line that did, mm. did uh, certainly Finch and Maxwell Shot of the Day The best shot of the day was Stoyness's six, which was was just unbelievably good. He came down the wicket to Chris Wokes and hit him immaculately straight back over his head for six. That was the stylistic (laughs) shot of the day. The one that probably changed the match a bit was probably Adol Rashid's hoik over cow corner in the penultimate over when suddenly belief began to sort of come through the England team that they could actually post a defendable total. So they would, I'm I'm going to hedge, my. if I find a fence, I'll sit on it. But they were my two shots of the day.
1: I quite enjoyed Marlon Slavishane's like scoop off his nipple, uh, the sort of <laughs> late cut that he did. I'm not actually sure if he meant it or not in the end, but it came off the middle of the bat with soft hands, so it felt like he meant it. He knew if he played it properly, it would go to third bat. It was a very odd shot. But this, the the one, it's I don't think I've ever seen it play. So uh, what, what what's the game called in the uh, test match or Subi, um, uh Sabutio? What's the the game called in the well the the yes the the the, 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 the top man. yeah. Yeah, so we call that Test Match in, in Australia, but I think it's got a different name uh, um, in, the, in the UK, or certainly it's known differently. So we call a batsman with Marcus Stoynis' technique Terry Test Match. Uh, right. We certainly did at my club anyway, in that he'd look, elbow up everything. He goes through the, the line perfectly every time. And I, I can't remember, it was one of the commentators, I think, recently, I can't remember if it was on the radio or on the TV, was talking about how he looks like a player made from a bowling machine. Like he's just faced the bowling machine over and over again. And when he faced that ball off Stokes, he took like a little half shuffle down the wicket and just went ping. It's like he knew exactly the length that works was going to bowl it. It was such an immaculate looking shot. But as often happens with Stoinis, you get that beautiful looking shot, but you're still never quite sure if he's going to make runs consistently at this level.
2: Uh, Particularly probably batting at three. And I have to say, uh, he was fine on a length ball, but when the ball was fired at him short by Joffre Archer... The tangle he got himself into when he got out was probably the anti shot of the day. Ball of the day. The Chris Wokes one to Aaron Finch. It just straightened enough, just clipped his off stump, and that was when the rot set in. So yes, it was a bit of a jaffer. I know that Finch probably played down the wrong line, but for what it did for the match at that time, that would be my that would be my ball of the day.
1: I think Adam Zampa bowled a very good one in the first innings as well to get the edge through to slip. Um, But, yeah, I think it would be hard to go away uh, from that. Weirdly enough, for what is a low-scoring one-day game, I wouldn't say there was a a lot of amazing balls bowled. It it wasn't like the ball was pinging around with the spin or seam, was it? It was just that there was this this constant pressure and occasionally a little bit of up-and-down bounce as well.
2: Absolutely. No, it was funny because I was going through both teams looking for my ball of the day and I was looking at all the dismissals and I was thinking actually yeah usually there's one that you 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 can really climb into and talk about but but it was harder this time batsmen couldn't get in and never felt quite safe you felt no one really apart from Rashid scored it better than a runner ball significantly um, so, yeah, it, we, we, it, it was that kind of slight lottery on picking my ball of the day, but I'm going to go with that Wokes one. Lol of the day. Uh, lol of the
1: day. Guy, go, I've got one straight off the top. Uh, Joe Root's out there batting. He's batting with Jason Roy. Jason Roy finally looks like he's finding some kind of form. Joe Root looks like he's taken Jason Roy's bad form and ingested it. Can I hit the ball to square. He's being tormented by Hazelwood, occasionally by Stark as well. And I was thinking to myself, just, just at this moment, I was like, oh, he's going to do something stupid here. I thought he would play a bit of a silly shot. Instead, he hit the ball straight to cover and took off. And of course, the run-out had to be Jason Roy's end, the man who was fighting for, not Joe Root, who then continued to struggle for the rest of the year. I mean, it, it's incredible to think that that is funnier than Australia losing eight for 63 and losing an unlosable game. But if you were watching the start of this game... It was just oh, it was so painful watching poor Jason Roy walk off the
2: field. Absolutely, and and the the serious lack of eye content, uh, eye contact as he walked past Joe Root. Root just buried his head in his hands and just just I can't look at him. I can't look at him. Uh, my other possible contender for 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 l- loll of the of the game was um, watching Justin Langer, who looked moderately amused after they lost two wickets to go from 142 for four to or was it 100, uh, 142 for two to 146 for four the way that that slightly amused look became a look of thunder within about two overs as yet more wickets fell that that I also thought was 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 would have made a nice montage of the the, the, the change of mood of Justin Langer what is going to happen tomorrow
1: Guy, what is going to happen in the third game? You talked about momentum before, which is a concept I fundamentally don't agree with. But I would say that if you are that flawed a team, which Australia is at the moment, a lot of things have to go right for you. You would say that a lot of things actually went right for them today and they still managed to lose. So what is your your thinking in the last game?
2: I'm with you a bit on momentum, but I think England know how to win at the moment and possibly Australia a pinch a victory against England as we saw in the World Cup but when the big one comes England tend to find a way to win so sorry the, the, uh, the inter-country uh, story that goes on between you and I as well here but my, my I really genuinely think England are going to win the next match and win the series.
1: I think England are the better side but I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge that on whatever's happening around that dusk period where it is hard to bat or whatever period it is, we're, we're not at the ground, we're both in, we're in our own individual bubbles, if you will. <laughs> uh, they're varying very talk sport bubbles. But I, I think if you bat first um, and you've got good bowlers, which both of these teams do, I think there's a very big chance that batting first, as long as, Put it this way, if England had batted first and been bowled out for 180, which they probably should have been bowled out for, uh, I think Australia would have been fine. But I think it, once you're getting over that 220, 230, and it's certainly going beyond that, I just think that there, there seems to be something going on. Um, and I don't know if it's a fresh pitch for the next one, but Owen Morgan was asking for um, a slower and lower pitches, So I'm assuming... Um, that it will be an interesting pitch whether it's fresh or not for the last game if it's not fresh I certainly wouldn't want to be batting second uh, <laughs> when, when uh, the Old Trafford gets a little bit weird but it'll be very interesting to see what happens Guy, thank you very much for listening this has been the following on podcast you can get it on all your podcasting apps